Oh, it's on site, you some bitch. That's perfect. It's the review of a new podcast. <laughs> I'm DJ. I'm Evan. And this is the podcast where we uh, typically look back at the filmographies of our favorite uh, filmmakers. And um, th- this season of the podcast, we're on uh, Quentin Tarantino, uh, the man himself. The man, as two characters are inexplicably described back to back in this movie. <laughs> but yeah, so, I mean, we've already talked about how we've got to approach this movie in the first one, and I, I assume like it's kind of a similar idea. Yeah, of, I so think I for, for yeah, with this one, I I know that I had seen it. I remembered the ending more than anything else. Um, but there was nothing that I was like, oh, I've never seen that before. I know I've seen the whole movie before, but I really didn't remember it. So it was, uh, oddly enough, I remembered the ending really, really clearly, but everything else, it was, it was kind of fresh for me. Um, I again had one of those moments where like, oh shit, I'm really appreciating it more as I'm an older like person now, like legit for real, where it's just like appreciating what he's doing with the you know, revenge plot and how it pays off in this movie, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, since since uh, watching, like, the, you know, the second movie, I was, like, what's going on a little bit more and, like, you know, hearing what people were talking about with, like, things of, like, homages that were taken from, like, you know, other films, like, the most obvious one being the Kill Bill uh, thing like that. And uh, the Pi May character who's in this in this movie, who's absolutely fucking incredible, played yes. by uh, Gordon Liu. And I didn't know until I was like rewatching it the second time and just kind of like watching the credits. It was just like, oh, hey, that's him again. He was in the first one as the bald dude. Like, and he's just so good of like an actor. And, you know, the makeup was so good that like you just didn't think yeah, about it. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of hard to notice when he's wearing the like the big crazy eyebrows and the beard. Yeah. And he's also just so over the top. I and it was the same him. thing with Michael so Parks. Did you see him in this movie? Yeah. When he plays the Esteban uh, brothel owner. Yeah. As well as. Creepy. As well as the sheriff at the beginning. I didn't know that. (laughs) Yeah. I think. I don't know if I would have noticed. I think Jackie pointed it out. She was watching with me. But I think it being two movies and this one being the second actually worked better. You know, I was very like, okay. uh, Okay. Meh. About the first one. I didn't dislike it, but I wasn't crazy about it. And it didn't really have anything to do with the violence or like, I'm not a big fan of like, I haven't seen a lot of samurai movies or Kung Fu movies. So I don't think it's anything like that. I think for me, the first movie was all about the style. It was all Mm -hmm. about the style and it was super, super stylized and all of the emotional person stuff kind of felt like very sketched out. And with the second movie, it's like all of a sudden they're real people and there's still a little bit of stylization, but it's deployed in a different way. Um, Yeah, it's a lot more uh, like hyper focused to certain parts, like the training montage with Pai Mei. Right. And even and even like the training montage, like it. Like, Pai Mei is really silly in some ways, and, like, that's very, you know, and that one's very much, you've got, like, the the montage, and you've got the kind of grainy film footage, and you've got the crazy over-the-top fight choreography, but it's still 
you know, it still feels like really there's there's a core to it that feels very real and genuine. And also, obviously, we see way more of Bill in this one and and are seeing more about the bride's relationship with him and her and, and seeing her with him gives us more of an idea of who she is, where she's coming from, why she's doing all this. So she's not just this badass yeah. killer machine. She's a person I, much and, more. And I think there's movie. a lot of great subtle characterization in this mm-hmm. movie. Yeah. And I think it's just like, hmm, I think people weren't like, hmm, now. Like, I, this is not just like a, you know, stupid, fun, dumb action movie. Like, this is yeah, really no. interesting. I was it, like, you know, telling you something about these characters and, you know. It's really good. And it's interesting because this one is also so much more of a Western, um, which yeah. is funny because, so, you know, if we haven't quite spelled it out, you know, which, you know, people listening probably know, but volume one is very much a pastiche of samurai films and volume two is very much a pastiche of Kung Fu and, yeah. um, and, and the fighting in, um, in volume one is much more sword focused and in, uh, in yeah. volume two, we get more of the Kung Fu. Um, but you know, I, at least from what I know of, you know, the Western genre was very directly influenced by samurai films, uh, cowboys being yeah. influenced by samurais. And yet volume two, which is the Kung Fu movie is way more of a Western. It's literally like set in the California desert for a yeah, large yeah. chunk of it. Yeah, and I was oh, oh, this is the thing that I come across. Uh, just someone bringing up this point of um, there was a uh, oh, uh, this website called uh, Feminism in India, and they were talking about um, like uh, female gaze. I mean, what was it? Female rage through the male gaze. A feminist critique of like Quentin Tarantino's Kill Bill. It's an interesting article. Um, and then there was a part where they talked about yeah, directly bringing up that point of how like you know Eastern and Western um, culture ha- has influenced each other over the years and. How this new action style of action filmmaking, like the modern action, like you know, movies that we know today, are like inextricably tied and like based on that. You know what mm-hmm, I mean? Mm-hmm. And so it's kind of like to have that homage is like more of saying like, oh yeah, these things are like we have been borrowing each other from each other like all along, right? Like in these like interesting stylized way. And this is just like put this movie is just pushing it in your face more. You know, like yeah. Um, but yeah, there's lots of interesting things that I found out, and we'll talk about it as we go on um but uh yeah as we start the movie oh this is what i was thinking about going coming from the last movie okay so you know how you said like we were talking about how the lucy luke character you know kind of ends with like her head being like the top of her like her scalp being cut off you know and i was thinking about like why i feel like that that does kind of like really work better than like any alternative right because i remember you saying like well you know it feels it does feel a little bit hokey for it to be like oh just talking and then like seeing like that effect up there but i was thinking like originally they uh i had seen that they were gonna cut her head off like completely that it was gonna be and so i was thinking like i think it would be probably a little like one hokiness bit over the line for like a decapitated yeah, head. yeah i think talking. i think it was you better know, like- than her <laughs> i think her being i didn't like the way she was fatally wounded but i think her being fatally wounded rather than beheaded was definitely a good choice because if she'd been beheaded 
she wouldn't have gotten to have that final moment. And also the, then the we would Respectable. Like, it, it definitely looks a bit more respectable than, like, head lopped off looking like a, like, well, plastic... Like, right, because also then we would have had a fake Lucy Liu head and a fake headless body, and those never look good. It doesn't matter how good a filmmaker you are. Those just always yeah. look cheesy. And, and yeah, like, this way, even though she kind of looked weird and dumb at the end with the top <laughs> of her head off, she still got to have that moment on her face of realizing she'd been killed... Um, and having yeah. that kind of final moment of of life and humanity. So, yeah, no, definitely a superior choice to the alternative. Yeah, but it's interesting how, like, you kind of can look through. I think, like, the script is available online, like the original script or something like that. And you can kind of look through and see, like, the ideas that were changed that were kind of like, oh, wow. Like, you know how just some movies, when you get when you look at the behind scenes, it's kind of like, whoa, every mm -hmm. right decision just happened to be made. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Like, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, um, I, I and I, okay, this is what I wanted to start with. I just wanted to say how I loved how it starts with, uh, like the movie going in starts with her saying that, like, you know, uh, I went on what the movie advertisements described as a roaring rampage of revenge, and it was just one of those like, you know, fourth wall breaking things, like, yeah, like that yeah, was, that, must have been so cool, really, like for the really... audience at the time. You know what I mean? To be like, wait, what? <laughs> you just described like what critics were saying about the movie that just came out six months ago. Yeah, you know, like. <laughs> Because she's, like, driving. It's this weird, like, very meta. Because, yeah, she's not only breaking the fourth wall in a conceptual sense. Like, she's literally looking at the camera, driving against a very fake-looking green screen in black yeah. and white. And it it's a weird moment. There, like, the very, very end of the credits, visually, if you watch all the way through the credits to the very, very end... They look like um, like old Hollywood, like 1930s silver screen type credits. Um, mm. So, you know, there's definitely not just the Western, not just the old Kung Fu movies. But, um, oh yeah, that's that's the other thing is the influence of the Kung Fu movies is more recent. Like you're thinking like for me that it looked like it was drawing like especially the training sequences looked like that was drawing from movies from like the 60s and 70s, whereas the the other um, movies were you know in volume one those those movies were being drawn from like the 30s and 40s maybe the the old mm. black and white samurai films so yeah. um so it's it's almost more of like a grindhouse era uh thing which I, as we know Tarantino is really into so as as the movie starts when we get to the chapel like the first thing that I noticed is that like hey fucking Samuel L Jackson just chilling in the background yeah as Rufus and, and I was like. I couldn't remember. I was like, is Rufus like, does he become important? Does he do anything? Or it's just, it's like, just a no. Samuel L. Jackson cameo. Yeah. It's just in, in a way that specifically makes you go, is that him? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Cause, yeah, cause so, you like, can barely see him. It's, it's, yeah. I think that footage is black and white. It's not particularly well lit. He's wearing like He's sunglasses yeah. and a hat and stuff. So it's, yeah, it's like, you have to kind of like, wait, wait, who's that? Um, yeah. I really liked, there's some voiceover narration where she says, oh, you know, the story, they called it the such and such wedding massacre and they got it wrong. It wasn't a wedding. It was a wedding rehearsal. And mm -hmm. I, I said that was a I nice, like, yeah, little details shifts like that kind of happened in this movie. Yeah. I said yeah. like, it's a nice little sidestep from cliche. And we see that a few times where it's like, you could go for something really, really obvious. And instead you did something just a little bit different and it's. It's tasty. It's yeah. tasty. And they even and they even justified it in a way that makes sense because it's like, you know, you look at um I mean 
you look at the dude that she's married, he's kind of like a schlubby guy, you know, like the friends seem kind of like, I, I don't know, I want to see TV, but they seem a little they, like, they, like, they seem a little like people who would try to go into 7-Eleven barefoot. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and, and it seems so interestingly different from the characters that we've kind of seen as the main characters up to this moment in the movie. Right. Because they're all stylized and they talk as if they, you know, uh, like, you know, are thinking about their legend and things of that nature. But then we're just like and her friends in, in what's supposed to be her new life. Right. Are just kind of like these down to earth. Really just kind of like, yeah, what, idiot, what's going on? Let's watch MTV later because it's mid-2000s still, yeah. You know? Yeah, like- <laughs> yeah. I really, I really noted and appreciated that naturalistic dialogue, especially after having that little intro with the bride where, you know, she's she's still being very, very stylized in that moment where she's talking to the camera and then yeah. getting this very kind of naturalistic. I mean, it's still a little stylized, but compared to volume one, it's very naturalistic and... Yeah, it's 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 like a break. It's a breath of fresh air. It's going like, okay, all right. Because I think I think There's part of why Yeah, and I think part of why I didn't connect super intensely with volume 1 is just and you know, again, I'm somebody who appreciates stylization. I can enjoy stylization, but at a certain point it starts feeling hollow and at a certain point it's like, okay, I see what you're doing. Yeah, I get it. I get it. I get it. But you know, if I can't you want to be invested in a human being, right? If none watching, of the characters yeah. feel real, you know, and and especially like you know, in volume one, like it's hard to pinpoint Empathize why that character. It's weird because it's like like Vivica Fox. I found very very like compelling, and the way and she was you know right at the beginning, and and she was even with the super stylized dialogue. It's like here's a mom trying to protect her kid, and she's very like. You know, but she gets killed like a few minutes in and then, you know, the rest of the stuff, like a lot of the stuff with Lucy Lou's crime boss, like she's fun as hell to watch. And she's, you know, she's really interesting, but she's this like almost like a video game villain and she's so powerful and in charge and she has this army at her command. And so it didn't, it didn't, I don't know, with, with, the, with volume two, we're, we're, we're not dealing with even Bill, who is literally like the boss. Even Bill is literally just the boss of these characters, which come to think of it. What was the timeline with Lucy Liu's character of being like an assassin for hire to this guy, but also running a crime syndicate in Japan? Like how did Um, that just occurred to me? It was like, when was I think it was when she was about nine, because I think she was really young. Yeah, like no, you're thing. right. You're right. They did and get to that. And she was an assassin when she was like a kid, and so like, yeah. yeah. Right. And then she came back and took over the yakuza. Yeah, but you know, but, but with yeah, this, why would you work for someone after that? I'm, but unless it's like a respect thing, going into like an assassin code sort of thing. You know? Yeah, and again, like all the stuff with Lucy Liu is, and and all that stuff with with the big fight scene in the club that takes up you know a quarter of the movie at least. That's yeah. great and it's super fun. But then it's such a breath of fresh air to go from this like super stylized crime boss who has an army at her command, and then she's you know gonna have this beautiful dance fight in the snow, and you cut her head off or cut the top of her head off to you know this schlub in a trailer in his dirty trailer in the desert oh my god who has to clean the toilet at a titty bar 
And and excuse me for using him as the representation of this because apparently in real life he's actually like a really actually cool solid dude. But who's that guy who always talks about like being from Flavor Town, going to Flavor Town, and he's got the flame, uh, you know, button down. You know who mm-hmm. I'm talking about? With, and he's got the frosted tips. Like you know, he's still in the early 2000s, and he's just figured out like that's where culture was gonna stay. Who 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 is this guy? Oh, you're talking about Guy Fieri. I didn't realize yeah, you like, couldn't think of the Fieri. name. Yeah, Guy Fieri. Yeah, yeah. Like, he's apparently, like, a, actually a cool guy. But it, it's, like, one of those things, like, he just looks like a douche. And I think he, like, got that reputation for a while. Cause yeah, like, like, now uh, we all know that he's, like, going and, like, feeding the homeless and, you know, like, yeah. just being a, this biggest sweetheart. But, yeah, yeah. no, I mean. The, but that's what this guy kind of reminds me of. He, yeah, he just kind of <laughs> looks like, yeah, just kind of like a, you know. I feel like he's, I disagree on that because, like, Guy Fieri's look, you know, whether you like it or not is inarguably high effort like he puts work Mm. into styling his hair that way and trimming his beard that way and having the colorful shirt it's high effort and it's fun whereas bud is just like bud looks like he picked up a shirt off the floor of his trailer and maybe shook it out a couple times and put it on wait wait are we talking about Bud, the the snake dude, or Bud? Uh, oh, you're talking about Tommy. You're talking about the guy she's married. Yeah, yeah, that's what oh, I was thinking about. <laughs> no, okay, I was like, I don't know. No, how not you're Michael Madsen's con- character. Yeah, not no, no, no. Character. I was really confused. I was like, how does he look like uh, that? No, no, no. Yeah, Tommy does. Like, it's a little hard to tell in the black and white, but he does give off yeah. Guy Fieri vibes. He just, I liked him. I thought he's so sweet. And that was the thing. Is like, you could tell he's actually a nice guy. But it's interesting how as the plot unfolds and you kind of like get Bill's quote-unquote side of things, how it's just like, uh, uh, I'm not saying you should do it or whatever he did, but it's like, but well, I get why Bill, this guy can, is doing what he's doing, right? You like, can see Bill being insulted by it. Um, yeah. You know, because it's like, oh, you love me for this, you love me for this loser. Like, you love yeah. me for this, like, dork who works at a record store and yeah, has but then, tips. Yeah, but then as you think about how the plot crosses over with, like, the emotional, like, you know, goings on with the characters in that background, it really like brings the plot to light in a way that I think is really fascinating. And, you know, we'll talk about it when we get to it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because like, yeah, as you see your friends, they kind of really look like, you know, like any port in a storm kind of friends. Like you said, the, right. The description that you gave I don't know. Perfect. I mean, they seem fun <laughs> and nice. I think the whole point of the whole point of the people that she's with, with her, her friends and Tommy and all of those people the whole point is that they are genuinely like nice, sweet. Kind. I think it would have been too easy to make them like perfect jerks people, or right? well, no, I would. I think it, to make them either too perfect seeming, which would have been creepy, or to make them just jerks or creeps or whatever. But no, but having them be just like just maybe maybe a little trashy, but genuinely like yeah. nice, kind people that she, you know, maybe you know, ultimately wouldn't have been able to fit in with, but what you could see why she was like, these are good people I want to have a life with, you know? Yeah, yeah. And now she walks outside and she sees uh, Bill who, and I didn't think about this, apparently we had not seen his face as far as the film goes until just then. We never saw his face, no. I think we only yeah. saw like the back of his head maybe. Or yeah, and, you know, his hand like with the sword, you know, going up and down like that, you know what I mean? Um, right, and, and touching. Like we saw him kind of standing... Behind over the so, yeah, that one woman, Sophie, Sophie, Sophie yeah. Fatale. But I don't think we definitely didn't see like his whole face. I don't think I don't remember. Yeah. Maybe you saw like, part I, of it. 
I think this is the part where we find out, oh, he calls her kiddo because right, that's, that's her actually name. her last name. Oh, yeah, that's the reveal. Because it's I funny, the like first that. time, <laughs> I don't know, the first time um, he, the first time we see him at Bud's trailer and he says her name and it gets bleeped out again, which was, I found that jarring that it was bleeped with that like bleep. Because that felt much more like the first movie's kind of style of that, you know, very silliness. Like, but yeah, like we, we, we find out pretty early on that Beatrix Kiddo is her name. And there's this really weird little cutaway. I almost yeah. call it like a Family Guy style cutaway gag. It really is. A teacher yeah. in a classroom calling out children's roll, roll call. And it's like actual children saying here, here. And then she yeah. says Beatrix Kiddo and Uma Thurman in pigtails <laughs> says here. And it's just like yeah. Quentin Tarantino. I was so thrown off because it's like as it was going to like this you know school setting my brain was like I don't remember the scene like wait are we gonna go see like the kid actually like how they're living for a second like so I was thrown off I was like yeah it was just it was literally like a family guy style getaway yeah yeah um Um, I just and I didn't like well I just didn't like because I was thinking about like who calls their lover by their last name like oh Jackson I miss you like I you mean, don't do that. Like it's, it feels feel like, like it's solely for the purpose of throwing you off out, in a movie. Like, I feel like if your love affair starts out oh, as I, true, being, like professional it, assassins, being like I was thinking of that too. You might have a weird yeah. thing there. And I, was, oh, and I think the movie kind of delves into that, kind of making the subtext text with the the part where she goes like, where she introduces. Um, um, Bill to her, you know, soon to be husband, and she goes like, "Oh, this is my dad," and I forgot about that too. As well, I was like, "Ooh, so that's just twisting creepy. the knife." It's to so... be like, and then yeah. she kisses him on the mouth, and it's like, if anybody is Twice. looking at her do that, they're gonna be like, "Yeah." Uh, I mean, yeah. I know some people do that. Some people kiss sure. their kids on the mouth. I, I'm sorry. I, it's I like I'm not it, saying yeah. if you do that, you're like a pervy. You're bad, your but it's just like how do you not feel but weird? It's you creepy know? Like, to me. Yeah. I like I am so affectionate with my kid. And I'm always like hugging him. I kiss him on the top of the head. But the idea of kissing your kid on the mouth is just so freaking weird to me. Um, yeah, yeah. But obviously that's not her actual father, so but, that's a digression. Yeah, but my point being is that it's just like it's, um, it is like oh yeah yeah like oh and and you're gonna it's for the sake of the movie. And not for the sake of like you know it less of like feeling like what a character would actually talk like you know what i mean like oh you mean in terms of him calling her kiddo yeah yeah i think it's like oh that is so not somebody's name like if it was if her last name was jackson or miles you know like he wouldn't be saying that you know because they're doing he's saying that specifically for the purpose of having that flip there but it's like you know yeah i guess i mean i could see with their dynamic because the thing is like this is not like a normal relationship. And yes, but right. Like the point you mentioned about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, It's this specific dynamic that it's a dynamic that I think gets romanticized a lot. Um, Or I think it's becoming less romanticized now, but I think it was when I was younger, definitely something that got romanticized a lot by young women as well as like you get, you know, I mean, it's the cliche that like pervy old guys always write themselves into movies with like young hot. Like, you got like the Woody Allen sure, type. But Woody Allen, know. oh my lord, yeah. Ugh. But that was anyway. one of those things that was so obvious. I always felt like, okay, so this guy, I felt like I was always being told that this guy is supposed to be a writing genius, and yet he has this really clearly obvious trope that everyone knows, and he's been making these movies for years. Yeah, Woody and Allen's he's not switching a fucking, it up at all, and it's like, and even well, if you weren't a pervert, how clever he's a are fucking you? Fucking hack. <laughs> 
Yeah, yeah, like he's a fucking hack. But yeah, anyway, um, but you know, with Quentin Tarantino, I don't that's not what's happening at all. He's closer to yeah. Uma Thurman's age, you know, I think. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, yeah. Um, but so basically you've got the cliche of the like the pervy older man wanting to write himself in with a younger woman. But the thing is that dynamic was romanticized a lot by young women, at least when I was younger. And I, and I don't say that to mean, so it's okay. I mean that, that a lot of girls my age were, and you know, and this is one of these things that's like, I'm laying myself bear a like, little bit here. Like it's the culture of the time. Yeah. Like, with, so, you know, so, what women are well, pushed okay. to, to, not let, pushed, let me, like, let me, sorry, like, sorry, yeah, it's yeah. okay. So basically like, this is a little difficult for me to, to say because, you know, as a, a trans man, I like very much, am always sort of battling being seen, you know, as female in some way, or even people saying like, well, but you used to be a woman and that's not the case, but I was at the age of 17, 18, somebody who thought I was a girl. As far as I knew I was a girl, everybody else thought I was a girl and I liked men. So I, you know, so I was somebody who also like romanticized that trope of, specifically a younger woman and an older man who is like a teacher figure to her and, and is sort of this sort of, you know, teacher master come lover. And, um, and it's okay. You can go <laughs> come lover. Cause I, I know you want to, <laughs> I just said come lover. Um, it was the Latin, but yeah, anyway, I needed, I needed to give you space for that. But, um, but that that trope that is really fucked up and damaging. And I give Tarantino credit because I think he's not really romanticizing it here. Yeah. Um, I think that it's, it's a really damaging trope that went unquestioned for a long time of the most romantic possible thing is for a woman to be with a man who's about 30 years older than her and who is in a position of authority over her and kind of molds her into who he wants her to be. That's the most romantic thing in the world. And that's so fucked up. And I think that... That sounds like you're describing Fifty Shades of Grey. Wasn't that the plot of that movie? <laughs> well, except that... I, I don't even want to talk about... I don't want to fucking touch that thing. Yeah, that's too much, ink in, too much ink has been spilled. Dom yeah. Noble on YouTube has said... Anything anybody needs to say. And Cat Black has had some good things uh, to say about it too. But anyway, go watch, go watch those guys. I don't want to talk about it. Anyway. But so mm -hmm. so this um, you know, th this trope is is, is oh, yeah. you know, that was in like books that I read as a middle schooler that were aimed at middle schoolers to Maura Pierce books, you know. And so it's like normalizing. It's normalized. Yeah, and I don't think I think the fact that in this story that older male figure shoots her in the face because yeah, he gets jealous. And we know that as we're watching this scene, he, right? You know, like, we know from pretty much the beginning that he shot her in the face and left her for yeah. dead. And, you know, that he's not and a good guy. And they were guy. assassins and, and, you know, like... And that she's so going... That's not really good company in the first and that place. Her whole, right, and that her whole journey is her going to kill him. Like, literally, it's called Kill Bill. Yeah. Um, you know, I think that really... 
you know, you could argue that it's still problematic or lacks in some way, this and that. But I think, sure. especially given that at the time this came out, was it 2004, 2005? 2004, yeah. 2004. Early, so that was, yeah. Yeah, 2004, we were still in the height of that being a dynamic um, that was really, really romanticized and that yeah. I certainly thought was... You know, like, yeah, like, why would you, like, gee, why would a woman want, like, why would a 20-something woman want to be with some boring 20-something guy when she could be with this, like, you know, hot senior citizen who... More established. Who, like, uh, yeah. I don't fucking know. I mean, not that, and, and here's where I want to be, because I, you know, I had a friend who's, like, been in relationships with older people who said like who who kind of called me out on making generalized comments to this. So I want to be clear that I'm not just talking about an age gap here. And if you're like a 24 year old and your boyfriend is in his fifties and you have an equal relationship and you're happy, that's great. And I don't have a problem with that. I'm not talking about just an age gap here. What I'm specifically talking about is the dynamic of the man the being dynamic. the power dynamic and the man being a teacher and an authority figure and a guru and literally like bill is referred to as beatrix's master yeah, master yeah i In remember the hearing that language sense. at the point yeah yeah but, i was like oh but yeah like he's literally her master and that's like that is the dynamic that was getting romanticized and yeah, that here I, is like yeah yeah he, as this, it brings up it, it feels uncomfortable yeah you don't feel like oh isn't that cute that they have that it feels like wait what like you know yeah um so and, anyway and, i mean i oh, oh yeah yeah go ahead put a I, no i don't yeah. i don't remember exactly where i was going with um, that other than i was well, mildly triggered by this and uh, um well um the thing that i wanted to bring up was that uh it, it was interesting to me because it's like okay yeah when you see that she's pregnant the assumption is that it's the new guy's baby and that she shacked up with him super quick like broke it up with you know, um, Bill and then well, check except it, the dude we, super quick in volume pain. one, in volume one, we hear her say, Bill, it's you. Yes, right. yes, yes, yes. And I was thinking like, did he find out about that? Like her saying, Bill, it's your baby. Like at that moment, as the shootout was happening. And then like, right before he shoots her, like, you know, he's so angry about it that he just shoots her anyway. You know what I'm saying? But like, I think that he it didn't was... know about that before that moment. And he thought that, Oh my God, you're with this guy and you're already pregnant by him. What the fuck? And so he comes in a blasting and then he and then at that moment she reveals that, dude, it's your baby. Like, you know, why would you like don't fucking do this? And then right. he kills her. And and that's why I was thinking when um in that scene in the first movie when um um L Driver goes to kill her uh in the hospital, I was thinking like maybe that's why he doesn't want to kill her, like in a background sort of sense, because like the baby's still in her at that point. You know what I'm saying? And so um, maybe that No, I think no, because when Elle comes in, that's pretty close to the time thought, she wakes I, up. Oh, I, I thought think. that was the night that the accident had happened, and so Elle was trying to finish the oh, job. Oh, And then, yeah, Bill was stopping her and saying, no, you know don't what? do it. Maybe you're right. I think I had just assumed that it was... I think the way I just, it chronologic, the way they lay it out, I think it, like, is out of order. Does her like, face still look beat up when that's happening? Who's very, uh, yes, I believe so. Oh, then yeah. you're right. You're right. Yeah. That she might still be pregnant at that point. Um, but yeah, I think that it's one of those things where she says it and like his fingers already squeezing the trigger and he doesn't process what she yeah. said until it's too late and he's already shot her. Yeah. But so the reality is it was Bill's baby and her motivation 
was, you know, her finding out when she was pregnant was like, okay, I don't want this for my kid. I don't want this assassin life. So I'm going to cover over the evidence of that by getting with this guy really quickly and shacking up with him and making it seem right. like, oh, he got me pregnant really quickly. You know what I'm saying? This shotgun wedding that we're yeah, having. Yeah, so yeah, it, yeah. It's, it's that switch of the dynamic of what you're perceiving is happening mm-hmm. that's kind of fascinating to me because it's like, of course, it doesn't justify, you know, blasting up people, but at the same time, it's kind of like the, oh, and, you know, especially when it brings up that point, like, hey, I'm a fucking murdering bastard. I'm not a good person. I... <laughs> overreacted yeah. as he's David, uh, I want to say also David Carradine is really really good in this fantastic. role he was, oh, he was so a great good. he was a great talent and also little like uh, you, you, you might have known this since you were doing some behind the scenes digging but he made the flutes that he plays oh, in the wow. movie from bamboo that, that he grew he grew the bamboo and then yeah, made the, the flutes the himself. The way they looked looked so freaking specific. Mm-hmm. I was just like, what the heck are these? He, he like, made yeah. them, and he actually made them for a few different movies and shows that he was in. Oh, that's pretty freaking cool. Yeah. Yeah, because he went on a show called, like, uh, Kung Fu. It's like one of those, like, you know, uh, 70s version of, like, white person in the role of the... Although, know, I mean, David Carradine is, is uh But he biracial. actually is. Yeah. Oh, oh no, but I thought like, but he actually does know kung fu, right? Like in the, the thing, oh like, yeah 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 yeah. But it's like the reason why he would get cast is because you know, well Bruce Lee, you know, you know how it was at the time. Like, hey, let's get you, but uh, someone who looks white, so that we can sell that. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I mean, yeah. there's certainly yeah for sure. Yeah, um, but David Carradine, is, he, you said he's biracial though. What's his yeah? He's name? um he is uh half white and half Asian. Oh, oh! I didn't. I, I did not know. Yeah, let's see. Um, I'm looking. Uh, his. Okay, I would have sworn somebody said he was. Okay, now I'm looking at his Wikipedia because. Um. Oh Jesus Christ! What? Oh my oh, God! I'm looking at his Wikipedia and it says. Did you see he, why he died? He, well, no, I already knew about that. <laughs> that was awful. No, I'm saying Jesus Christ because he tried to hang himself when he was five and almost uh, succeeded. Oh, five years old. That's even worse. That is heartbreaking. That is so sad. Uh, why did I have to know that? I'm sorry. I. Uh, oh my god, that just like came out. Um. Oh god, damn it. That's I. Okay, I would have sworn. Like he's a primarily of Irish descent, but hold on, I would have sworn somebody said that he was apparently his name was John Arthur Carradine Jr. Was it? so I don't know where David came from. I guess he just picked that. I'm I'm so upset. I'm so upset. Um, okay, I really uh, like, you're about to lie to our studio audience here. <laughs> I am no, I just like I gotta. Okay, David Carradine family. This, this is like when I thought uh, Weird Al Yankovic was oh Jewish. Apparently, well, everybody he's not. thinks Weird Al Yankovic is Jewish until they find right. out he's not. I, he's I'm like, not crazy. <laughs> yeah, every no, like Jews Yankovic, assume he plays he's, accordion. Like, come on. <laughs> yeah, no, like Jews assume he is Jewish, and I think there was some talk about making him um, honorary. <laughs> okay. Because of David's physical characteristics, many assumed he was of partial Asian descent. However, he wasn't. Uh, his ancestry was English. Yeah, no, that was just like a rumor. Look at that. Busted on the review of a new podcast. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, I feel really bad. That was just one of those things that because I knew he and Keith Carradine, whom I've seen in a few things, were half brothers. 
And I think somebody had said, like, yeah, like it was hit, like the other side of the family right, or whatever. Right. Um, yeah. But no, uh, um, he's like English and Irish. Um, well, mm. well, but, then. Uh, <laughs> and, and now you know world. that side of the story. David Carradine <laughs> was not Asian at all. Um, um, yeah. But uh, getting back to the plot, though. Um, I was thinking, like, plus, in addition to that, the you know, that information being kind of shifted, um, like, the bride didn't know her kid was still alive, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah, so the dynamic... assuming that her daughter was dead this entire time. Yeah, like, even going up until, I think until, like, she gets there, right? Like I think so. I think her that? seeing the daughter is the moment she finds out her daughter is alive, I think. Because um, yeah, I'm trying to remember, like... I think she says something like her thing? daughter... I think she finds out her daughter might be alive, but uh, but she definitely doesn't know for sure. Um, but it, it, and so that it's fascinating to me because it's like now you know, especially when we get to the final scene, this isn't just blind revenge. You killed my kid, and now that I'm alive, I'm getting revenge. You know, now it's just like I'm getting you because of this interpersonal relationship where it's like, now nah, you tried to kill me. This can't end without me getting my revenge. Like you're not. We can't just get like I think there's um times throughout the movie uh, I think he says to his brother Bud and then he says to her, uh, her at the end like can't we just let the past be the past you know can't we just move on can't we just you know like you know like can't we just in fact yeah that's what I thought was very interesting when he comes to Bud to talk to him you know it's it, like you know it kind of you know has the sheen of looking like the, the badass dialogue about the woman who's gone who's been you know done wrong by a bad hearted man who's come to get her revenge but if you just really pay attention to what they're saying like it's actually like it's bill really saying like hey you know i know you haven't practiced in a long time i don't want you to get killed let me protect you you know Mm -hmm. like that's him actually kind of like pouring his heart out in a way to be like you know that's not like a badass thing that's that's him saying like hey please like you know let me keep you you know from getting killed like i just want to help you like i don't know if you're going to be able to keep yourself from this woman who's coming after you right now. Like, you know, right? yeah. Bud is very interesting because I think Bud is such a fascinating, like he, I think it's like my second, no third favorite. Cause of fucking Pime. but like he is that yeah, character. Pime. That's just Pime is like a at. drag queen. He is so dramatic. <laughs> I love fucking. Oh my Pime. God. That would be so awesome. If there's like, a like, like, like Kimberly T or someone like that. Who did a drag- his Yo, little beard flip that he does. That would be so dumb. Oh, my, oh my God. God. There Yo. used to be a drag queen Pime Kim- now. Kimberly Chi, get on that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, oh th- I think that's a drag yeah, queen. Yeah, I know, Kim Chi. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kim- yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I love how, um, oh, yeah, yeah, just that uh, Michael Madsen's character, as he's just like, he is such a, you want to watch him just seeing how he looks like a real person in the movie. Like He's very real and very grounded, and he's like, and he's he's such a sad sack, but not in an overt, yeah. like, cartoony way. Yeah. And he's interesting. It, it, he doesn't, his motivations are understandable, but obscure in yeah. that he like when he says like some of the comments he makes to bill or whatever like maybe we deserve to die i don't know and he's clearly kind of just depressed and at the end of his rope and he's got kind of a shitty life and he says like you know he's maybe we deserve to die and he doesn't care that much but he's still not gonna Mm. try and die and then when she shows up right he schemes to make a million dollars by stealing her sword and yeah 
He's going to take advantage of the moment. because Yeah, like, but I just, yeah. like, aesthetically, there's so many things right off the bat and, that just signal. And, 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 and isn't that interesting, though? Because it's like, he still had that sword. Remember? Oh, he yeah, lied yeah, to Bill. he still had that. He lied I, to Bill about having another sword. So he was just trying to get this other sword and pawn that off and still keep that <laughs> sword that still meant something to him. Isn't that interesting? Like, that, yeah, there's that extra think, bit of, like... The um my so my wife again deserves a lot of credit for you know because she just knows a lot more about this kind of thing than I do um and she just was so offended by Bill uh, engraving words into uh, that yeah I was thinking about that sword. I was like hey are you supposed to do that <laughs> yeah. kind of, um it made me think of so the Japanese Garden in Portland is amazing if you ever get a chance to go to the Japanese Garden in Portland Oregon it's amazing. Um, we were touring that garden when we went out there years ago with my wife's uncle, who is a professor of Japanese studies. Um, if you've ever seen the J-pop America Fun Time Now sketches on SNL, uh, Jason Sudeikis' character in that is basically my wife's uncle. Um, uh. And so he was giving us a tour of the Japanese gardens. And the one thing that he pointed out, you know, because it's very accurate, the you know, it's very authentic. But the one thing he pointed out was near the entrance, there are all these stones that have the names of donors chiseled into them, you know, as sort of like a memorial or honorarium, um, you know, thing to, to put the names in these stones like you do with bricks in a walkway, right? Um, but he, he was like, no, this is not this is not right. You would not be carving names into stones because everything is supposed to look very natural. And yeah, that's yeah. what the 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 bill the, or, you know, to bud the only man I ever loved. Like, that's what that reminded me yeah. of on that. It was like ruining the the beautiful, the right. beautiful, elegant art of of that. Um, yeah, yeah. But um, but yeah, just the the aesthetic shifts right away are you're in this weird. I mean, this magnificent, weird, eerie basin in the desert with his lonely trailer and i was just thinking man yeah. he's fucked if like he needs emergency services <laughs> if it was flooded yes i heard someone brought that up <laughs> yeah if it was flooded like it, or like low, it's a low flood area yeah it was flooded or even if he just like starts having a heart attack or something like i think part of it is he just doesn't care at that point but like if he yeah. were having a heart attack or he cut himself real badly or something like there, there's clearly no landline hooked up out there. And if his cell phone died, if his electricity went out, he would just be SOL. Yeah, yeah he would be cell phone, SOL. He had to pull out the, 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 the wire antenna. with his teeth. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, but, but you see it like right away, you know, so the volume one, the bride is wearing this crazy, you know, this crazy bright yellow jumpsuit and she's got the sword and everything. And in this one, she loses her sword pretty quickly. She's wearing an ordinary outfit. She's wearing jeans and like a tan leather jacket that anybody would wear and a black yeah. balaclava. And and everything just is so much more gritty and sort of realistic and toned down. And it's yeah, just and like up close and, yeah. you know, like claustrophobic. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Like, And then um, you get these, you know, on the other hand, you get these, um, these, uh, Ah, uh, shit, I'm blanking on the word. You said claustrophobic, and immediately I went, I'm wanting to say amoeba-phobic. That's not right. What's the freaking ah, fear of open spaces? Uh, Agoraphobia, yeah, fear yeah. of the marketplace, but really fear of open spaces. So, yeah, yeah you get these, you get the claustrophobic tight shots, and then you get these agoraphobic, just huge, 
wide panorama, big empty desert shots, and it's yeah. just yeah, it's it's really striking. It's a fascinating contrast. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. But yeah, uh, just going back to Bud for a second, because I remember he says a line at the end of the first movie where they're like previewing the second movie, and it's the line where he says like, you know, we deserve our like, you know, she deserves her revenge, and we deserve to die. And the way, like, the camera's just up on him, like, when it happens in the second movie, like, it still felt earned to me. Mm-hmm. It was like, they were just like, even though I'd already seen it, it was still, like, a really effective way that he said it. Plus, there was the line afterwards where he says, like, but you know what? She deserves to die, too. So I guess we'll see what happens. Like, you know, like, the way he comes at it. Like, that was how he, that was basically what he said. You know, the, that, that's basically the whole line. So him saying, like, you know, it's like, yeah, she deserves her revenge, but at the same time, you know, like, she has blood on her hands, too. She's a, you know, she was an assassin just as awful as the rest of us. So, like, ain't it all equal, you know, an equal sum game at the end of the day. It's just whoever gets there first, you know? And... I, I actually really love how, you know, because th- there is that quandary, right? Like, you know, why did Bill do it? And I really kind of love how the plot ends up being that he it was just because he was a petty, jealous asshole. Like, it yeah, really well, was so that human, you know? like It was that, and but also um, it connects him to uh, Pai Mei because we get midway True. through where he's telling the story of Pai Mei, you know, this mm. legendary, literally immortal... <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, not, he gets killed, yeah. but this legendary... He's so immortal, he, he, he transcends movie franchises. <laughs> right, and he and Pai Mei slaughtered dozens of monks because a monk didn't nod back at him on the road. Yes, okay, right? I so, wanted to get to that right now. Right, so Pai Mei <laughs> is like this petty freaking drama queen, and right. and, you know, and so we go, okay, so... Because he this, was inconsolable, apparently. Yeah, he was yeah, inconsolable. He nodded and they didn't nod back. Right, yeah. and so Bill, you know, that is, even though Bill, like, kind of grumbles and, and talks shit about Pai Mei, he's still, like, Pai Mei was Bill's like, master. yo, you slighted me, I'm gonna get you back. Right, yeah. it's, and it, and, you know, you could say it's about heartbreak. I think very often people, you know, and I've been an asshole who's lashed out at people because of my own, emotional pain so i'm not i mean i mean it doesn't actually make the movie kind of feel more like human in that way it's like like, this is what we do like this is how we're starting you know like yeah like yeah like i think it's it's very um it's very human not to say excusable but it's human to you know say well my feelings are hurt so i'm gonna lash out and be an asshole you know, in his case, it was being a bit more of an asshole. But as he said, he's a murdering bastard. So when he behaves badly, it's it's a bit more. Yeah, um, he has. Yeah, yeah, more capacity to do damage. Yeah, you know. But um, and then and then just sort of justify it and say, oh well, my heart was broken. My uh, I had a broken right. heart. I was inconsolable. And it's like, no, you you got your feelings hurt a little and and hurt people. And yeah, that's, and, and, and and you know what they say, hurt people, hurt people. You know. Um, well, <laughs> and that and but, that interesting sort of you know you've got this cold-blooded assassin who kills people that have thought and yet he's so fragile yeah yeah i mean pai mei literally a thousand years old but so fragile that he can't handle somebody not nodding back to him on the road Right, like, uh, this This is what I'd written down is like, so it's like, but, you know, the way he's, you know, telling the story, it's kind of like, you know, feels like very ethereal as he's playing the flute, right? But it's like, yeah, you know, the, uh, this is a story of ancient men whose true notions are imperceptible by mere common man. But it's like, yeah, as soon as you really break down what the story was, it was really as simple as, hey, what's up? Well, oh, you just gonna act like you can't hear me? Okay, it's all sight, bitch. Wee! 
I know when she's, you know, yeah, that that. And and I was thinking how, like, if you look back, so, you know, um, there was this DVD thing that you used to get at Blockbuster, you know, back when that was a thing, really dating that time, huh? And it was, like, the beef DVD that would, like, talk about rap beefs and stuff like that. And I remember trying to get into, like, the intricacies of, like, where did this beef actually start? What, like, what is this? And one of them was, like, um, oh, I actually remember also seeing this online, yeah, where someone, like, tried to catalog the beef between 50 Cent and Rick Ross. And it's, like, the furthest you could go back was, like, you know, what started this blood feud between these two? gangster rappers where it's like the first you could go back was like rick ross uh commenting that like oh man i don't like the way 50 cent looked at me uh at this award ceremony in 2007 or something like that i didn't feel respected and then the funny thing was it's like if you ask 50 cent about that same award night like he doesn't even remember that night in general because apparently he was like high off his ass or something like that and like mm-hmm. and it was this thing like wait doesn't like rick ross don't you guys always wear like sunglasses anyway so you can't like see what people are fucking you know actually doing and so i'm just like yeah, like yeah. Also, people <laughs> don't know what their faces look like. Like I still, yeah. this is like they don't I, know their resting bitch faces. You know, like right. Like, and I am not good at this. Like, if I see somebody and they're looking like mad, I can't help but assume they're mad. And yet, yeah. I was and sitting I do, there like, once, yeah. and my wife took a picture of my face and showed me what I looked like because she kept like, "Are you okay? Are you okay?" And I'm like, "Yeah." What are you talking about? And she took a picture of my face, and I looked. Like fucking Eeyore incarnate. And I was like, <laughs> I did not know I looked like that right now. <laughs> you know? So, yeah, just don't take people's facial expressions personally if you can help it. People don't know what their fucking faces are doing. Because I-, I feel like this is kind of a slight twist on what the revenge fantasy is, right? Because, like, has there been a movie before this about, like, someone who's like, you know, I've se- I know there are movies about, like, you know, my father or my sensei was killed and now I'm getting revenge. But has it been that twist of, like, I thought they were dead and, oh, shit, they're not? And I actually have a connection to this person I was going to kill. And so I don't just feel like I want to just kill them. It just feels like it's a little deeper than just, you know what I mean? Where you're like actually confronting like the person that you're going to kill. Because in most movies, it's like, this is the bad, 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 bad guy. And now that I'm facing him, like, you know, whatever we say is going to be antagonistic towards each other and we hate each other. But I feel like this movie is the only movie that really like, like that I can think of that really handled that. Like we were in a relationship and I'm still going to like, you know, at the ending, when you get that confrontation, it's still, like, it's antagonistic, but there's, there's still a hint of, like, sweetness because it's like, hey, these people did have a relationship with each other, you know, and they actually do, like, care about each other. And so it's just, like, you can still feel that dynamic that's, like, you know, undercutting it in a way that feels a little different, you know, than just the the average, like, you know, you killed, you know, someone that I love and now it's your turn to die, you know? Mm-hmm. It, it, it's a sense of, like oh man, could we have had something if we had not, if our feelings had not gotten in the way, like in the specific type of story of like the Western revenge? Because I, I think about most stories, like most of these, you know, Westerns, most of these comic movies, they are about men, right? It's about men talking to men. So like, it, it's not going to be about like having an, you know, intimate emotional relationship. You know what I'm saying? Like, and so like mm-hmm. the part of it being a woman, like, you know, by nature of it, it's kind of flipping on, on its head and forcing these types of relationships into it to, you know, really shake things up in terms of like how things how, how the emotional like dramatic arc of the plot kind of plays out and i think that that is where quentin tarantino as an artist like adds to it as a storyteller right like because i think of you know like homages and you know we're kind of talking about that like in general when it comes to these movies and um you know I, I, while i enjoyed uh like jackie brown the movie that was before this one enough I, we reviewed it with uh, i reviewed it with will 
uh, Will the Greatest on uh, another episode. Um, like it was a thing where I felt like it was a little too muted, where it's like it didn't like go enough into the black exploitation elements of what the movie was. It felt like it was just like here's a bunch of musical cues, and we got uh, this woman from a black exploitation movie. And uh, no doubt she's great, but it felt like it was just kind of like, just kind of flat. And this felt like it was embracing it more, you know what I'm saying? In that way that I feel like it's still having an artistic bend to it as, as someone trying to like tell a story in that way that we've seen like other movies before. Because I was thinking about another thing that came out around this time. Do you remember Afro Samurai? What Samurai? Afro Samurai. Afro it Samurai? Was an anime that came out. Um, that was after this movie came out and, you know, it became sort of like, oh, the mainstream caught on that like, oh, hey, you know, Black nerds and, and people who I like appreciate don't like think I saw that. that watched it. Yeah, so it, it was um, an anime that came out after you know Kill Bill had popped off and gotten really popular, and it was starring Samuel L. Jackson as the titular character, and it had uh, uh, the RZA uh, doing the music for it. So that was kind of like you know your impetus to kind of get on because it's like, hey, it's an anime with music by the RZA and Samuel L. Jackson. Like this is awesome, but it was so goddamn bad it was the type of bad that like even as a like 15 year old watching this shit and being like wow this is giving me everything i want like you're watching the plot unfold and it's just like but this is stupid though it's just one person after another and it's just oh will this person defeat them no of course they won't because it's my character will this person defeat them no of course they won't because this person can destroy anything and is the most badass person ever and like there's literally a scene early on i think in like one of the first two episodes where someone like shoots a missile shoots a missile at Afro Samurai, a man with just a sword, and he slices it in half and doesn't die. And it's just like, okay, well, how powerful is this fucking guy? You know, like, that's the two OP, two, you know, into uh, uh, up its own ass with just trying to be like, oh, I used to watch all those kung fu movies. Now, what if I was in these movies and I could just kill everyone and do anything? You know what I mean? Like, that's the type of shit that I don't like that, that trips things over into just feeling exploitative, to, to my eye. You know what I'm mm -hmm. saying? Um, yeah, that's why I particularly like do not like Afro Samurai. Um, you didn't know about it, so you yeah, no, but same, I'll take your word for it. The same feeling of <laughs> anger, um, but like you know, I, I do take it seriously. You know, when it comes to like things of like appropriation versus appreciation, because it's like you know, appropriation is when you like you know are just kind of hawking the style, and appreciation is when you like taking it and doing something and taking it to another thing, you know, trying to move it, not, not up better or whatever thing, but moving to it like, Oh, but would you have thought about it in this context, in the context of this, you know, relationship when it comes to like someone having a child where they thought this, but they thought this, but you know, now that complicates what the violence was. And it's like, you can't take it back. Like, that's the thing, you know, um, you know, as the characters are talking, I think it is such a great scene between David Carradine and Uma Thurman. Like as they're talking, she's like, uh, especially when she says like, you know, as you killed all those people, felt good didn't it <laughs> and it's like because mm -hmm. you know you're an assassin and it's like yeah and see i know you and it's like i know what you really want to do what your life is to be and the fact that you were doing this all of this you know you you could have not killed all these people but you did it because you know what you are you know and it's that sort of like power play and i think we also get into just like you said not only the 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 what you had brought up as like yeah, the sort of icky uh, thing of like, oh, this younger woman is with this older man. But I think like the way this text lays out really like pushes it in your face in a way that like, I feel like it's trying to make you uncomfortable, right? Like, you know, earlier with the thing of like referring to her him as the dad and um, oh my God, yeah. Then there was that line where they said, uh, I don't think this is related, but I just thought it was interesting where he says, um, um, you know, David Carradine's like, isn't it a little, uh, isn't it bad luck to see the bride before 
you know, the uh, the, the wedding in her dress. And, you know, the, the slummy dude, you know, the guy fiery dude is just like, hey, well, you know, I like to live dangerously. <laughs> and it's just like, and it's just so such a great dramatic comedic moment because it's like Bill Carradine, this fucking assassin, is like looking at you like, ha yeah, oh, oh, you like to live dangerously, do you? <laughs> you know? Um, yeah, because we first get to see a bit of, of Bud's life and we kind of see... That he his life is kind of like shitty. Yeah, working at the strip club, and you know he's late for work, and that and his boss, his cokehead boss, is like, you know, you piece of shit. You know, this is the last time you fucking, you know, show up late. I'm gonna fucking cut your hours so that you have less pay. And the only thing you fucking understand is you know money. So you know I'm gonna fuck with your shit. And you know one of the strippers comes up to it and says like, hey, you know you got to che- clean the shit out of the toilets. You know this is your fucking life, like that sort of thing. Um, also, I just want to say that Larry, his boss at the strip club, was really uncanny. There was something uncanny yeah. about him. I don't he know what. So, it was I one think, of those, like, is this guy going to be in the movie more? Like, because he's such a weird personality. I, yeah. I feel he was very weird. And I feel like a lot of it was just he had this, like, really fake tan and very bright blue eyes, if I remember. And very coked out. And, you know, and like, very coked out. And he had this, like, very fake hair. Like, it looked like either a toupee or, like, just for men or something. So yeah, he looks like a man from the 70s. Like, yeah. I just, there was something about him that I found very, like, spooky. Like, he almost seemed like a, like a Muppet. yeah like just larger than life as a person like yeah for how small the role was you know um and while i love the shotgun scene and how it like cuts through that point of like and it kind of cuts into that uh point you know like okay so yeah like okay we know as you're watching this movie we know this is like a sword and slash movie right and this is like you know that question is on your mind why doesn't anyone have a gun? You know, like, and so I feel like this scene happening so quickly at the beginning of part two kind of like throws that in your face. You know what I mean? With her like running in and that happening, you know? But then I do kind of have that question of like, wait, so it does feel a little contrived though, right? Like, I feel like the way they shot it makes you not think about it. But on a certain level, it's just like, okay, is this assassin like, you know, being as sneaky as possible. But then she just opens the door and Bud is just standing right there in the doorway. He's not, like, off to the side. So she just <laughs> ran in and just ran forward with him standing right there. And, like, you know what I mean? Like, it's one of those things where it's just, like, it looks cool as it unfolds and, like, edited in an interesting way. But it's one of those things where it's just, like, oh, you just fell for the okie-doke, bride. Like, come on. <laughs> like, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, it was... I, yeah, I feel like as I was watching it... Again, I hadn't seen this movie in forever and forgotten most of it except for the ending. Um, and, and I thought she got the jump on him and it really did take me by surprise when he did that. Cause he was a good actor, mm. like bud, not, I don't, not meaning Michael Madsen, although he is a good actor, but bud, the character yeah. is a good actor. He comes off like someone who's like, Oh, oh his days are behind him. So he's not really thinking, but then he has that extra moment where he's just like, no, no, I, I still have my instinct. It's still there. Like, you know, <laughs> and yeah, he, you know, shoots her in the, uh, shoots her in the chest with the, with the rock salt. And he's like, you know, okay, you know, because you, you basically, because you broke my brother's heart, I'm going to fucking make sure you suffer. Right. Um, and L driver, uh, you know, he calls her up and says like, Hey, you know, I got, you know, I got your black mamba, you know, she's right here. And she goes like, oh, shit. Uh, all right, well, I'm going to come get the motherfucker. You know, I want my, I want that goddamn sword and shit, you know. And, yeah, that's when they make the deal. Like, all right, I want a million dollars. And it's like, oh, and make sure that, you know, bitch suffers till her last breath. You know, it's just like, oh, I'll guarantee it, you know. And then, you know, there's that point where he gives her the flashlight. And I thought that, I thought that was kind of an interesting thing where it's just like, 
I'm going to like, you know, make you suffer to your last breath. But if you don't like, you know, squirm or whatever, and just like, you know, just make it easy on me. Okay, I'll give you this so you can like fucking see, <laughs> you know, like there's mm-hmm. a weird like sideways. And I remember someone having that thing of like, okay, these assassins, you know, having these codes of ethics, like, doesn't it feel like weird to like, they're kind of inconsistent and da, da, da. But then I kind of thought about it. It's like, you know, probably a lot of people's morals are weird and inconsistent if you really broke them down. Yeah, like, well, that's what I'm saying. Like, I think Bud is such an interesting character because like he's sort of repentant or at least guilty over what he did to the bride in the first place. Mm. But mm-hmm. then he still is gonna torture and kill her. Yeah, Oranisha didn't give a and, shit. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's it's like he's not this like utterly like I don't you know mustache twirling like I don't care what we did you know she, she's yeah she if she it. left him alone he would have left her alone right like he doesn't care like yeah right but then he's he's also clearly still a bad guy um, yeah yeah no I, I think he's a very interesting character I don't think it's inconsistency I think it's just humanness yeah well and, and also i was just thinking in terms of like you know if you're living on the edge like assassins do is like you have to have something that ties you into something like you know at least ethical or you go insane you know what i mean like <laughs> you know uh i think there's just that sort of element of it but uh yeah he goes like you know i'll you, this is fucking bear mace and i'll spray it all in your fucking eyeballs and you're gonna be blind and buried alive so mm-hmm. which one will it be <laughs> you know and she goes like okay i'll you know, take the flashlight yeah. Um, and oh my God, man, was this scene epic. This, this really was the crux of the movie. Um, mm-hmm. and it's set up so well, the setup and the execution. Cause at first yeah. it's like, we see her trapped in the coffin, buried alive, which is, even though, you know, she's not going to die in the middle of the movie, obviously right. it's still stressful. It does such a good job of like, like <laughs> that Foley artist. Uh, must have gotten a pretty penny for this one. Around, yeah, yeah, because it's so. I remember watching it in the theater and feeling so in that in that moment of like, oh my god, how the fuck is she gonna get out? Oh my fucking god, like this would be in, it, terrifying if this were to happen to you. You know, like it really putting you in that moment and then hearing like the pounds of dust coming down. Like, oh shit, this really is not. You know, how are you going to get out of this, you know? Oh, yeah. And then I remember also thinking, like, as a kid, like, I mean, I don't know. It looks like a pretty sturdy flashlight. uh, flashlight. Why did you try to use that to bash through things? But I think she does try it at first. I think it's just kind of hard to see her doing it because, you know, where the light is. So it just kind of looked like she was just, like, exasperatedly struggling. And and then, of course, I also remember thinking, wait, even if you do break through, is it, like, six feet of pressurized dirt going to, like, fall in on you? You know? <laughs> yeah. Um, but the way they kind of work through it is kind of making it look stylized, where it's just like she's going through the dirt, and you're just seeing like lots of like roots of stuff, like kind of making up the dirt, so it looks kind of fluid as she's going through. I thought yeah. it was kind of in- like it is interesting how he works around things, like in a way that's like yeah. that was so stylized. I, and I feel cool like you kind of like, skipped okay. over that. You know, between her getting buried and her coming out of the coffin, getting out of the coffin is the entire training sequence with Paime. Oh, yeah, right, right. It because it frames it because the coffin frames the training sequence because she's in the coffin, she's buried alive, she's panicking. You hear her yeah. hyperventilating. It goes like, okay, what's going to happen? And then it cuts to the training sequence. And at first I just thought, okay, she's you know panicking and maybe blacking out and her life's flashing before her eyes. And so we're going back to this totally unrelated thing. Um, and it starts out with Bill telling her the story of Paime, which um, we find out that he's a thousand years old and also you know, killed, you know, 60 monks because... Because he felt some type of weight. Because he, he, <laughs> he got his little fifis hurt, right? Yeah. And then we get this, you know, this really epic 
uh, kung fu movie training sequence with her and yeah. Pai who and again oh, is just so delightful. Gordon Liu is so incredible in this part where it's just like you can't help like even though he's being like an unrepentant bastard, he is so like you know it, when someone is just like so unrepentantly living the you know being who they are, just like and especially the fucking yeah the beard stroke and the beard like throw as he does over himself like hmm, oh my god that one part in particular where he fucking uh, uh, she's like fighting him and she like you know tries to stick him with a sword and he does that classic thing where he jumps on the sword and has it with his one foot and he goes like. From here, you can get an excellent view of my foot and then kicks and then does the flip as he lands and just strokes his beard and just does the ha 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 Like, I, it's so... He, he can't get up. enough. I could have watched a whole movie of just him. Just yeah, this character. I know. His yeah, life he's... training motherfuckers and being a dick. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> now, this is what I had found out. Uh, originally, uh, they were going to plan it where... Uh, Pi uh, Pi May's character would have been dubbed over in English like a bad dub job in a uh, in a you know kung fu movie being brought over to the United States, but like it's another one of those things. Was like, man, I am so glad they didn't do that because like that would have been fun for the cheap laugh of the oh ho somebody taking the voice. But you know they originally wanted Quentin Tarantino originally wanted to be the person doing the dub over, and it's like that so would not have worked hearing you know Quentin Tarantino's little voice talking to a Chinese guy like. No, that would have been one step over the cheesiness line. You know what I mean? And it would have stepped all over uh, Gordon Liu's acting, which is so incredible. Like, the fact that it's one of those moments where it's like, no, you better read the goddamn uh, uh, subtitles because he's not going to compromise for you, stupid American. You know, like... And so, like, in the character, you know what I mean? Of, like, no, you'd better fucking read what it is or learn Chinese, goddammit, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it, it would have totally taken out the impact of the character uh, for them to do that. So it's like, oh, my God, I'm so glad they did that. They didn't do that. Yeah, and, you know, again, you know, just to put a fine point on it, Pai Mei, he's definitely a bad person and a piece of shit. But it's the thing where it's like, he holds the key to you being the best assassin which, you know, isn't exactly a professional for good people anyway, so you're, you're going to eat it and take the training, you know what I'm saying? Um, like, you know, this is the world that we're in. I think we talked about it before with uh, Quentin Tarantino movies and how he, like, revels in, right, like, people living lives underground, you know, um, with the first movies uh, being about, like, you know, bank robbers and, and uh, you know, uh, assassins. Well, I guess the other movie was also about assassins because it was about dudes who... Uh, Pulp Fiction is about assassins, isn't it? I wouldn't it? call them assassins exactly. Like, they're just sort of, I don't know. It's like, if you don't have their money, he comes to fuck with you. Like They're they're enforcers. Yeah, they're yeah, yeah, enforcers. Because, yeah, an assassin yeah, yeah. is like, an assassin is specifically like, this person needs Killing to die. Killing a head die. of state. Yeah, like. Well, and it's specifically like somebody who needs to die, and you go and kill that person because they need to die. Whereas Jules and, um, and what's-his-face, um... Jules and are what's the I can't I even can't, remember Samuel L. Jackson is Jules Vincent Vincent Jules Vincent, and Vincent Jules and Vincent I want to say Jules and Vern that would have been too silly I wanted to say <laughs> Vern so bad too I was like wait Jules Vern wait no uh, Jules and Vincent are you know they're going to scare people and then maybe they accidentally kill some like when they accidentally kill uh, the guy like that's you know it's just being dumb and fucking around so yeah yeah but um now, and while I think, like, I do think this moment overall is, like, really cool, the one moment where I think it, the silliness goes slightly too over the top is where, like, they're doing the thing and, you know, waving the sword and, of course, you're in the, you know, whooshing noises. But there's the one scene where she just 
whooshes her hair and it makes that noise. And I was just like, okay, that's just too silly. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like after all of this happening and then just like, <laughs> I was like, okay, well, that's not intimidating anybody. Uh, I whip my hair back and forth. I whip my, you know. <laughs> um, but yeah, the training scene as it goes on, it's just so excellent as it gets you to like, you know, care about her struggle and you hear the triumphant music that gets you on her side. It, oh my God, it's so fucking cool. Like when you see the training happening and, you know, him being harsh on her and and that scene where, you know, they're eating the uh, the the rice and, you know, she's having trouble picking it up. And he goes like, oh, no, no, no. If you have trouble with it, then you can eat on the floor like a dog. You know, like you will eat without uh, your hands, you know, then you don't like that. And she like has that thing where like she like maintains through it by like, you know, picking it up, you know, steadying her other hand with her with her other hand. But like still, you know eating with the chopsticks in that way that that is sort of complicated, you know? And he goes like, hmm, you're willing to, you're willing to, you know, persevere. Like, and he kind of sees that. And I, it's just so cool. Like, you, you would want to see that, right? You want to see approving Paime, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. The, mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, man. But, oh, my God. Yeah, even when she, like, so the triumphant music that hits, uh, that really Western-sounded music with the bell, do, 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 you know? Even as she's getting up, like, it, it has the epic moment of her, you know, pushing through and punching, doing the, the three-inch, like, punch sort of thing. And then when she punches through to the air, um, punches through through the ground, when you just see the hand, it's still kind of like, you know, okay, I know she's the main character, she's gonna get through this. But, like, as she's trying to pull up, like, it kind of seems like the dirt's still, like, giving and she's just gonna fall back in. So, like, as you're watching it and hearing that really hyping up music, you're kind of, like, really kind of going, like, Oh my god! Oh my god! Like get up, get up! You know, and I think they actually had to do a cut uh, where like it zooms in closer, and she's like much more on top where she can actually get out. Because at first, it really does look like it, it. It does not look like someone could just get out of that. You know, uh, it, it feels like that. Yeah, they specifically had to cut to have her more up on top so that she can just pull out. But even then, like you can see the ground collapsing underneath her. That's like still trying to pull her back in. So like as she's pulling out, like it really feels like holy god, like it you feel the weight of the moment, you know what I mean? Like, she's fucking earning it, you know? But yeah, then it cuts to her. It, it, to what I what I thought was a, 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 a camera going, and it maybe it was, because that's what Quentin Tarantino likes to do, but it kind of, like, slowly fades into being, looking like the sun, as it, like, slowly fades into uh, Uma's character, like, walking through the desert to get to that, uh, you know, cafe to, like, order some water, you know? <laughs> Oh yeah, that was such a funny, like, just moment of her just fluffing across the street, just like with dust, just you know, (laughs) pouring off of her, and the guy in the cafe just watching. It's like, am I watching a zombie come to life? (laughs) She literally looks like a zombie. It's so funny. And so L comes over to you know, because she she hears from Bud that oh yeah, she's been buried alive, and if you wanna find her look up this you know amy schultz i think was the name of the character or something like that um so she she brings over the million dollars for the sword and uh, he opens it up to you know count it after making some remark about blondes because you know th- these guys are all scumbags and he he asks her you know before he opens it up is like you know he says another oh, word. That was like, I think one of the few bits in the movie I didn't like because it was one of those really contrived kind of like how, how it was building up to her response. Uh, well, to and it was also, it's just say. like, 
it's one of those things where I feel like the the sort of prime example that people use is when somebody in a movie says a random word, like just blurts out a random word and then people go, what? And then they blurt out the random word again and then actually say what the fuck they're talking about. We're like, you know, we're having a conversation uh. and all of a sudden they go chinchillas. And you're like, what? And I go, chinchillas. And you're like, what are you talking about? And then I say like, oh, you know, chinchillas are actually very sensitive to uh, cold and moisture. And if they get wet, it can actually kill them. Because- yeah. And it's like, and that's why what did you to what shout we were chinchillas saying. at me, yeah. right? But, and, but, then, but then they'll go like, well, that's what related to what we were saying earlier when we were talking about the, the heated thing. And it's like, but, okay, but well, also, you could have led into that instead of just being random. Or yeah, just like, even like said, hey, did you know that chinchillas are really sensitive instead of just shouting a word? And what he does with the like, which are are you? It's like no human yeah. being would know what the fuck you're talking about. Yeah, because I was trying to figure it out too because I was just like, wait. Also because he says like, he says like, so, he says another R, and, and but then he says, uh, "Do you feel relief or regret?" But before he he gets her to answer, he says I retirement like, first. Yeah, retirement. retirement. And, and so it's like, yeah. So yeah, I, it was like, kind of contrived. And literally, like no human being on earth, you say to them, "So which are you?" And yeah. they think, "Oh, which like, are you? Which th- feeling that begins with the letter R am I experiencing?" Nobody would fucking understand what he's saying, and it's one of those yeah. things that just irritates me because it's like. I get that that should have been left in a draft. Like I get that that seemed clever for a moment, but, and it's, I only didn't like it because I think the movie is so good generally. And it was a weak, it was a weak point. That's a clever for, it's a clever movie writing sort of thing. Instead of like an actual, like how people are talking. I I think it doesn't even work because it's really Uh, just like, if he had said something like, set it up like saying like there's two R's. Yeah, yeah, if he if he'd said like so, people usually feel one of the two R's, relief or regret. Which one are you? Yeah. You know, but it's like literally nobody would hear because it doesn't even you don't even necessarily realize he's saying the letter R. Like yeah, I had subtitles yeah. on, but if you're just hearing somebody say that, you're just thinking he's saying which are you? Yeah, yeah. And it's like what? what? <laughs> which what <Yeah>. am I? <laughs> now uh, he he opens up the money and starts to count it. And um, one of the stacks he pulls out has a black bomba underneath it that bites him three times on the face. And, um, you know, uh, L Driver kind of comes over and says, like, yeah, you know what my biggest regret is? I, I should have uh, specified what I was talking about. When I said I had regret, I, I meant my regret is uh, that a shit stain like you took down, you know, my once, you know, most respected rival before I could face her. You know, so it's that sort of thing of, like, God damn it, you know. And, and he actually, she ends up echoing a point that Bill says in the first movie. You know, she deserves more than that. Yeah, you know, I like, felt like, I think Elle is definitely my least favorite character in this whole thing. I really don't uh, like her. She, she is the most just, uh, like, I mean, uh, more generic version of Beatrix. Like, you know? Well, yeah, yeah, that's a good point. And she, I don't know, I feel like. She's got an iPad, so that's something. Yeah. Well, when she came in in the first one, and she's in that ridiculous outfit, and it's like, yeah, everything's stylized, but that immediately was like, why would you dress like a stripper to go and assassinate somebody? <laughs> and she just feels very shallow and underwritten and inconsistent. And then, like, I liked her a little bit more in the beginning of this interaction with Bud because she did seem like more of a person, like she had more of a personality. Mm-hmm. Um like, she's not a likable person. She's an awful person. But as a character, I felt like she was better written. But then once she started fighting with Beatrix, 
it was just sort of, I'm skipping ahead a little after she, you know, like, do I care about this character? Bud. But like, after she starts fighting with Beatrix, it like, she lapses into this like cartoony, like, I feel like so much of the movie was so much less yeah. of that cartoonish stylization. Uh, and then I was like, I killed your master yeah. because he was yeah, a right. fool. And it's like, Trying to make now. her into the big bad all along when it was just like I don't know I don't think it was trying to make her into the big bad no but, but was... you know how they do in movies where it's just like this is the person that you were like because they're like because the, you're right the way they're trying to work it into it, like why did it need to be that L driver killed uh, the master why did that need to be what happened like what what did that serve is it she already well, wanted I mean, to kill I her do you think, know like I don't mind that being a plot point that she I don't know it was kind of shocking because it's like kind of a like just casually dropped that she killed a thousand year old immortal um yeah but I thought the reveal that that's how she lost her eye was interesting that we we learned that's how she lost her oh, eye yeah, and then sure. Beatrice snatches her eye. Oh my god. That oh, moment. Oh, it's so uh, good. Oh, it's such a uh, great grindhouse movie uh, thing. It's also oh, just man. like gives you more Dude, oh, we didn't mention this that picture I sent you the screenshot it showed up. So I just got a new phone and I got I got a Google <laughs> Pixel and it shows me articles. My phone just on the phone on the home screen shows me articles I think so I'll be interested in. And one of them was about Quentin Tarantino <laughs> and it was this like collage of Tarantino leering at a foot that's about to step <laughs> on a person. Yeah, uh, the, uh, and I the think Monty Python uh, Yeah, it was, oh yeah. yeah, it was like a Monty Python reference and it was like the foot from one of the Monty Pythons flying circus things is about to step on somebody. And and then it had just a picture of Tarantino and he always kind of looks like he's leering. But the way that, the, and I'm sure this had to be intentional, the way that the the picture was composed, it looks like he's getting real hot and bothered over that giant Monty Python foot. But yes, and there are a lot of uh, shoeless people in this movie. Lots of shoeless people, as always. Like, we get a shot when we first see Beatrice approaching, Beatrice, Beatrix, I said Beatrice. When we first see Beatrix approaching Bill, like it's their feet, and of course he's wearing shiny boots, but she's wearing yeah, sandals. She's wearing, like, sandals, yeah. She's wearing yeah. sandals. We get it's like, dude, dude, dude. And so uh, then in this, she plucks out L Driver's eye and then squishes it uh, under her toes, and there's a close-up. And, and uh, someone, I think it's someone who made the point is like it actually is kind of like better for the film language though because when you think about like if it had been like a shoe stepping on it it wouldn't have gotten you as much you know like the visceral foot squishing on it you know what I mean like uh, when you see it under the the toes especially oh my god but yeah and and the trailer fight in general is just so goddamn great it's such a great moment and I think it, it uh, I think it serves automatically as the cool big over an Ishii type fight scene. Because the final fight scene with Bill is so more of a denouement sort of, uh, you know, scene. You know what I'm saying? Um, like, it, it, now it is a great little sitting down scene, which is really cool. Like, it's a sitting down fight scene, which I like how they kind of, like, did that and how it kind of, like, surprises you with how it pops mm -hmm. off. Um, yeah, so they... I think it, it's cool in its own right. But um, I think this this trailer scene is so fucking good with how it uses the cramped space and, you know, like, the the sort of, like, 
yeah, found objects with how they're fighting, you know, like her picking up the antenna from the TV and like whipping her with that, you know, like, and just how it starts. Oh my God, when she's just about to leave, L Driver's just about to leave and you see the double foot kick coming in, followed by the camera, you know, coming in at her. Like, oh, that shit is so fucking cool. Um, And it reminded me of um just the, the fight happening because you see like L Driver try to pull out the sword, but because the place is so cramped, she can't pull, she doesn't have enough room to pull it out. So she'll be like, yeah. I got you now. Oh, and then like that moment throws her off so that like yeah like uh beatrix could like hit her or something like that yeah uh have you ever seen the movie raising arizona the coen brothers i saw it years and years ago i think i might have only seen part of it and the only thing i remember from it is the pronunciation of the word fiance as fiance because i just thought that was really funny and that stuck with me that's all i remember about it and they stole a baby that's all i remember yeah there's a scene in the movie where there's a trailer park fight like there's a trailer fight yeah and it's also like a very cramped scene and, you know, like, he tries to, like, uh, someone tries to hit someone, but, like, their hand scrapes up against something. And it's, like, that sort of thing was, like, shit, mm-hmm. you know, they're trying to fight, but shit's really cramped. So, like, I kind of thought of that. But then, of course, this is, like, taking it to the nth degree because these are, you know, uh, experienced fighters. And, oh, my God, that freaking scene where um, she throws the tobacco spit in the cup at him. Oh, uh, that yeah. was so gross. And it also reminded me of the scene earlier in the movie because, you know, she kind of spits at people whenever she's, like, pissed off at them. She spits, like, blood at them. And uh, just the way, like, the music in that scene was playing, you know, she's in shock because she's been shot with the rock salt, but she, you know, can still, like, instinctually, like, spit at you, uh, like, at, like a reflex. And, like, the way he spits back his tobacco at her was just so fucking, ah, uh, just took it, like, it just so took it to the next level of, like, oh, she's spitting blood, and he just spits the, just the way the tobacco lazily fell on her face was just like, ah. like, you could see the sort of weight of it being thicker, you know, like, Oh, Lord. Especially she, I think that's when she has the, yeah, all of the ash on her face from the rock salt and shit, so it just looks especially stylized. Oh, my God. And the way, uh, so, yeah, someone had brought up the way that she's writhing on the floor as, as L Driver gets her uh, eye plucked out. It's apparently exactly, like, almost exactly the same performance that she did in Blade Runner, where she has to, like, uh, writhe around for something. Oh, yeah. Randomly interesting. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, no, I, I... Totally forgotten she was in Blade Runner. She's the the replicant mm-hmm. sex worker, right? I mean, yeah, I'm made, mixing. I think I might be mixing her up with some. But um, we made Blade Runners so that they could die, and they have to do stuff for us. But we gave them life, but we didn't tell them. They, <laughs> I don't know. Blade yeah, no, that, that complicated movie. I just the the. What I thought was so fucking funny is so Uma Thurman plucks her eye out. And of course, she's already missing an eye. So she's got no eyes and she's on the floor writhing around. And one of the things she's shouting, you know, you fucking bitch, you fucking bitch and stuff like that. But she shouts, give it back. Yeah, give it back. And I just thought, like, it's so awful, but it's so funny. Give it back. Like, like if she had given it back, what would you do with it? Yeah. Although I do kind of love the idea, like, if they did do a sequel, like, if she and, you know, the girl who who's, uh, you know, the daughter of Vivica Vox's character and, like, the blind L driver, you know, like, mm-hmm. they set up their revenge, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. That would be a no thing for a single. I, I was just thinking about that as I was watching the movie. But, um, and, oh, my God, just, just the noises that play during the fight scene, too. Like, the El Kabong noise you hear, the broken guitar, the... And um, when L does a flying kick through the air, you hear what sounds like... Like, it sounds like a, a, a slowed down set of violins playing. Like, did you notice that? Where you just hear like a... It was such a weird moment. Um, 
But yeah, like, and then you know, uh, uh, the bride dodges it and throws her through, you know, the, uh, one of the one of the walls or something like that. But yeah, it's such an interestingly, an interestingly soundtracked like fight scene that's just like worth going back again just to like hear the things that happened, you know, uh, the little mm -hmm. sound cues that are in there. Um, but yeah, then afterwards we get another incredible music driving montage of just hearing intense music while wow, like all of these fucking driving sequences are fucking fire <laughs> like they all have dope ass fucking music to them and then she meets uh uh she meets up with this brothel owner who bill's mom knew and whom he used to look up to because uh, she talks about how like oh yeah bill used to you know uh not having a father he used to have like father figures and you know he would collect father figures that's what he did uh as a young man and so it's this guy who oh my god this is the most slimiest dude. And it's so like, the way he's so lackadaisical about his sliminess is just so fascinating, like to just watch, you know? Cause he's just like, you know, he's like, oh, maybe I'm service to him. His name is Esteban. Yeah, and I, he, <laughs> there was something really creepy about, cause there's like a close up on his face and it's like he doesn't blink enough. His <laughs> eyes just keep almost blinking, but not going all the way to a blink. And it's very yeah. uncanny. And, and did you notice, like, I think it's cicadas that keep, like, sounding off behind him as he's talking. That makes him sound, it, it just makes him look even more intimidating as the scene is happening. So he's just like, you know, how may I be of service? And you just hear Yeah, him, yeah. Like, yeah, in the background, like, as he's talking in this little shaking, like, rattling noise, you know what I mean? It's just such a, it's such a fascinating thing. Like, you know how um people in movies, you know, you're always trying to make a, a bad guy look even badder, you know? So even if you don't understand the motivation, well, then, you know, the thing that communicates evilness, right? And uh, a, a lot of people, what they do is, like, show someone eating. So, like, you know, talking to someone dismissively and eating, right? So it's like, mm, mm, well, the thing is... What we're gonna do is, you know, because already this guy looks, you know, disc, you know, not courteous. You know, this guy looks rude. You know what I mean? It already communicates to you that this guy's like a jerk, right? And so mm -hmm. like, I just thought it was fascinating as this guy's like talking to her, and you know, it's like and hot, you know, Mexican brothel that he's like chilling at, and it's just like the thing that lets you know that this guy is like, you know, a man of ill repute. You can just like hear in the sliminess of his voice, but also just hearing those cicadas going off like after every line. You know, it just like. It just brings you in, like, it's just, like, those little thematic things that sort of, like, uh, movie motifs that, like, key you in on, like, oh, yeah, this guy's a bit of a bit of a dangerous character, you know? And I think he even says at one point, he's just like, oh, man, you know, yeah, I heard they put the bullet in your skull. It's just like, what a shame. I would have just cut your face. And then a <laughs> moment, know? yeah, and then a moment later, you see a girl whose face he has clearly cut. Yeah, oh my god. And the way he calls her over too with the last just clearly just, doing it to demonstrate it. And it's not right, just like yeah. a cutesy like, oh, there's a little like line on her cheek. Like, no, like he fucked yeah. up her mouth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And apparently that was at a real brothel that they filmed that um and he he says to her, he's like, oh, uh, but for you, uh, I'll draw up a map of, like, so she says, like, yeah, you know, where's Bill? Do you know where he is? And he was like, oh, yeah, he's right at this place. So, yeah, that's where he is. And he's like, uh, it's like, you know, um, you think he'd be okay with me telling you, with you telling me where he is? He's like, oh, please, I'll draw a map for you to get to him. And he's like, and he's like uh, he'd want me to do it. And he's like, why would you? Why would he want you to do that? It's like, well, how else is he going to see you again? You know? <laughs> mm -hmm. And um, yeah, when, when she finally comes in, and I really had to have that moment too where it was just like, oh shit, I don't think she knew this whole time that the kid was still like alive because 
she turns the corner and comes in and you see like you know the kid kind of like sit there going like you know she's aiming a gun and then the kid's aiming a toy gun and she goes like mommy bang bang and you know david carradine's slimy ass is sitting over there to the left like hey mommy hey uh oh oh i think they played it off like it's like oh she got shot down but little did she know uh bb which is the name of the girl was impervious mm-hmm. to bullets and so she got up and it shot her and it's like oh that's right mommy bang bang you're dead go down and it was one of those things where it was just like in the moment it's like such a dramatic thing to see like oh shit the kid's still alive and oh my god here's you know david carradine in a way kind of giving her this cutesy meet cute moment with his kid but also it feels like so like as the scene goes on you can kind of see the type of manipulative person he is you know what i'm saying and how he yeah. kind of like orchestra likes to you know groom people and orchestrate things a certain way because it's like absolutely he was going to groom this girl to be a fucking you know killer and assassin oh yeah for sure it's like and i will say now i mentioned in the last movie that uh vivica fox's daughter seemed more like a six-year-old or a seven-year-old than four-year-old this kid seems four and yeah, one of the and things with the about, way how she acts. I think she's actually a really well-directed kid, actually. This kid yeah. was really, yeah, this kid was very well well-directed. And she, here's the thing, what I thought was so such great ambiguity is four-year-olds in real life are fucking creepy. Four-year-olds are uh, creepy. Four-year-olds do things like stepping on their goldfish if they had a goldfish and, like, right, talking right. about death and, like, you know, like, just kids kids are creepy kids are morbid kids you know don't really always understand life and death they don't always understand other people's feelings so some of the things about this kid is like is she a little psycho or is she just a four-year-old you know yeah he goes on uh telling her the speech about uh emilio the goldfish you know kind of and you know just kind of seeing the bride sort of you know reacting in that way where it's just like i'm trying to be nice because i'm seeing my kid and i want to like i don't want to break down in front of them but you can see the freaking pain behind uma thurman's eyes this fucking acting that she's doing oh my god oh yeah this scene is so heartbreaking because yeah yeah she's seeing her child that you know is almost like the primary motivation like the fact that she lost her child or she thought she did yeah was the primary motivation Right, um, her whole reason for doing and, it because she thought she you know, lost her, and yeah. and all of a sudden she's in this weird, like almost normal seeming family environment yeah. of like playing with her kid and the kid's father, and yeah, it's but, it's really a trip. Yeah, and at the same time, it's like you know this is why she wanted to get away her kid away from him, right? Because this is what it was going to be. It was going to be more of you know, being killers and, you know, like just doing this, you know, like, and so like, as you can see him like prepping her for that, you can see that sort of like anger in her eyes, you know, of like, you know, I didn't want this for her. Yeah. Yeah. It it, it paints her act of revenge as this is what I wrote as like, I wanted to get out of this life and you punished me for not wanting to kill. So now I'm going to kill the shit out of you. (laughs) You know, it's like, Mm -hmm. that's the fucking vendetta, right? Like, no, you like on fucking principle on GP. Like I was trying to get away and you fucking stopped me. Like you wouldn't let me be me because you felt you had to control that. And you basically stole my life from me. You got to catch these goddamn hands. Like, you know, um, and now we get to the, the Superman speech, which, you know, yeah, a little, a little long could have gotten to the point a little sooner, 
But uh, I do find it fascinating that, uh, you know, more that's than... That's such a good monologue, though. That's a really good monologue. Oh, that's sure. Like, as a that's character, one of yeah, yeah. Super quotable monologues, too. For sure. It's a thing that, like, informs what's going on with how the character actually feels about the other character, right? Because, like, it's more than just being brought up as a nerdy thing. He's actually trying to say that about, he's trying to get a point across about how he feels about uh, Beatrix, right? Like, you're really an assassin at heart. You know, you join, you getting with this dude and going to a record store, like, that's not your full potential. I know what you can be. We can jet set around the world and be fucking, you know what I mean? Like, you know, live live lives to the fullest extent. Why are you giving it up for this fuck, you know? And, but of course, finding out that like, oh, her leaving and getting with this guy wasn't, like we said earlier, just like a shotgun wedding thing where she just got pregnant with him really quick. It was like, she was with Bill first and got pregnant with him and was like, fuck, I don't want this. I'm getting out of here. You know what I'm saying? And so, like, it behooves her to act like that's what's happening and let everyone think that it's just that she got with this guy and got pregnant because she doesn't want to think about the past and this guy, but because Bill can't fucking get over it, you know, he he fucking retaliates, right? Oh, yeah. Like I was saying, just watching the scene, like, it's interesting to see the subtle allusion to, like, the grooming and manipulation in the moment. Like, the fact that it's like, oh... Here's what we're doing now. Like, yeah, I know I kept you from seeing your fucking kid for four years, but oh, what I want to do is for us to act out a nice scene with uh with our kid. And don't mm. you want to act out the scene? You wouldn't want to make a scene in front of the kid, would you? Now calm down. Let, you know what I mean? Yeah, like, it is very clearly, manipulative. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. And it's like, you know she's like playing into it because it's like, I haven't fucking seen my kid, you know? Right, like, because this is like her, she doesn't want to cause a scene in front of the kid either. Like she, you know. It's a, almost rhyme with the beginning is, of the first movie, you know, like. Right, and as, and as far as her kid, as far as her kid knows, this is daddy that she's been living with. Like, so, you know, obviously if she wants to have a relationship with her kid, coming in and like killing her dad in front of her is not going to be a good way to do that. Yeah, yeah. And so um, they, they say, like, oh, let's watch a movie before we go to bed. And, oh, my God, the movie they watch, I think it's Shogun Assassins. Yeah, that's a, that that kid, the kid's like, I want to watch Shogun Assassin. And then the kid falls asleep to, like, you know, yeah. to talk about slaughter. And, and I thought uh, there was right. a really – sorry. Oh, well, I was just pointing out that it, it was just awesome that they played that monologue from the kid because that is literally the monologue. This It's one of those hip-hop nerd moments that uh, lets you know that, like, RZA, you know, scored this because this oh, monologue yeah. is from the beginning of the Genius's uh, first album, uh, Liquid Swords, where, like, the beginning of the album, you actually are hearing that monologue. That, like, when I was little, you know, my father was, was the most the famous samurai warrior in the, the empire. empire. Like, mm-hmm. you hear that dialogue, that monologue at the beginning of that album that RZA produced. And so it's so that sort of like, ooh, if you know about hip-hop, like, oh, you see why we're using that, you know? Like, I just fucking loved it. <laughs> but anyway, what were you going to say? There's a really nice, subtle moment where she, um, you know, the kid's fallen asleep, and she knows she has to go face Bill now, and they're going to fight, and she takes off her necklace and hangs it over the picture that BB has of her. Because it's clear in that moment, she's not sure what's going to happen. She's not sure of the outcome. She knows she might be killed and she wants, she clearly wants to leave that for her daughter in case she is killed. Um, And then there is, you know, she goes and and starts talking to Bill in the living room, which the interior, it's this beautiful, it's this beautiful, um, you know, Spanish style house. But then the inside is like this hideous, this just really hideous, like 1980s kind of 
decor. It's so fucking ugly. It's such a beautiful house on the outside, and then it's so ugly. Um, <laughs> but anyway, so she goes, and and there's sort of an echo of I think when um, you know they're talking, talking, and she kind of starts to go for a sword, and and Bill shoots at her. Um, yeah, with the truth serum. Right. Yeah. Well, no, before he shoots the truth serum into her, he shoots at her with an actual gun, I think, to scare her into sitting down. Oh, right. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, oh, and so that was it, that felt like a sort of nice, uh, like a loop that was tying in when Vivica Fox shoots at her through the uh, cereal box because she sees her going for a knife. Uh, oh, yeah. And so this is where they get into the And argument. then he gives yeah. her the truth serum and does the Superman monologue. Which again is just a great monologue and and questions her, you know. And again, that's just Bill being in his feelings and being like, "Did you really love me?" Right, right. Did you leave me? Well, and now he does bring up this sense, like, <laughs> you know, I mourned you for three months. You know, I I actually did think you were dead, right? Like that's yeah. And it's interesting it too, like, so this was a neat little. Um, so again, I'm not like a hip. Uh, I'm not like a um like a cake. I almost said a King Kong. Oh my God, what's wrong with me? Uh, I'm I'm not a huge kung fu buff, but one movie I've seen is Drunken Master, and I feel oh, like yeah. this was an homage where he's out there drinking and actually seems like not over the top wasted, but he seems like he's a little like he's getting a little toasted while he's talking to her. And he's like, "You did this, and this you hurt my you hurt me, and it wasn't nice." And he's drinking, and he seems like he's a little bit intoxicated, and then just whoop, he just whips out like the sword, and she gets her sword at the same time and it's yeah. like like that because it's it, that i thought was a, maybe a little bit of a nod to drunken master where mm. he's um you know he's pretending to be intoxicated and she maybe lets her guard down a little but she doesn't uh, oh she well he actually better. he was drinking though right like he did have a few i mean maybe who who's maybe he was drinking apple juice you know like <laughs> who's to say that was actually alcohol or that maybe he could just has a really high tolerance. Cause he immediately. Oh, cause I was thinking like, I was thinking that he was thinking that maybe you could make this work still. Cause he, he I keeps think having he that conversation, gonna... you know, where he goes like, can't we put this behind us? You know, can't we let the past mm, be the past? I don't know. I you feel know? like the, I, I get the impression that they both know they're going to fight and they both know that one of them is going to die. Yeah. Like, I think the impression that I got from Bill in this ending is he knows that probably he's going to die. This is probably the end of the road for him. And he's going to be passing BB on to Beatrix and that it's her turn to take over now. But he's going to put up a fight. You know, he's not going to let her off easy. But um, but he definitely seems kind of ready to let go because they have this, I, I really, I remember, I rem, I remembered so little about this movie, but I remember the ending because it's so shocking yeah. um, that the fight scene is so short because we've gotten, so I mean, volume one ends with a fight scene that lasts for 45 freaking minutes. Yeah, half the movie, yeah. And right. for this, the, what you really get is the trailer park scene. You know, that's really kind of like. The, right. That's the, the big fight. fight. Yeah. Because yeah. even in this movie, we've gotten a few extended fights. And then we've been building up, building up, building up, building up to I'm going to kill Bill. She's going to fight Kill Bill. He's a Kung Fu master. He's a he's sword master. You know, he's hurt. Like they're going to they're going to have this epic fight. And instead, they are literally sitting down across a table, <laughs> lock swords a couple times. And then she kills him yeah. with. The f I keep calling it the five finger death punch <laughs> with the uh, with the five five point. Of death ex or something like that. It's the five point palm exploding heart technique. 
Yeah, yeah. And, and didn't they bring up that they said like, oh, let's go to some hacienda and some really nice villa and kill each other there. But then it's like, oh, but that gets undercut and then it just happens really quick. Yeah, They yeah. were going to go. Well, he was just saying that his his house has a private beach. They were going to go do it on the beach at dawn. But uh, but yeah, she they have this very brief exchange. And it's almost it feels like a wry, you know, because ultimately what you have is two parents who are not together anymore who are fighting over the future of their daughter and they're fighting it out, sitting out on the back porch across a picnic table. And in a way it's like so weird how it kind of like feels like this epic thing, like turns into like a movie about divorce in a way. Yeah. And it's very small and and, and abuse, you know, like, yeah. And, and I, I thought it was really interesting that the, you know, they just lock swords a couple times cause they have to, but Really, this is two parents, two, you know, two parents, one of whom has abused the other, yeah. fighting it out over a picnic table. And then she does the and, you know, they set up the they, they established the exploding heart technique, um, sure. not that she knew it, which would have yeah, been but I it's think, just like something that he only teaches uh, his star. The Pime only teaches. Right. And I think it's yeah. it's nice that we didn't explicitly know that she had been taught it because that would have been too yeah. like, obviously she's going to use that if she knows it. It's yeah. just brought up as like, and it's even, I think it it's brought up not even during the training sequence per se, but it's brought up by Bill when he's just telling the legend of Pime and always oh, got this crazy over the top killing technique and that's it. Yeah, yeah. And it specifically comes up that, you know, you you touch the person in these pressure points and then they take five steps and they're going to die. So she does this to Bill and he goes, oh, you learn that and then get to talk. And she's crying because for all of a bastard that he is and for all he did, he's still somebody she loved and still the father of her child. And they have this moment where she knew she had to kill him and he knew he had to die, but they still get to have this moment of sort of saying goodbye. And then he very... Mm dignified gets up and intentionally walks the five steps and then just quietly falls down dead on the lawn. And that's the last we see of him. Like even in the credits, when we see his credit, it's that shot of him dead on the lawn. Uh, Yeah, that's true. And, um, uh, you know, I I actually really like that exchange where where he says like, you know, yeah, he says like, why didn't you tell me you learned it? And she goes like, I don't know because I'm a bad person, (laughs) you know? Yeah. and he's like, no, you're not a bad person, but you, you can be a bit of a cunt. <laughs> yeah, I, I, like, thought, oh, I thought that was great, too. It just saved it from being mawkish, you know? Yeah, right, right. It's just like that's so like, oh, but these people are still people who are in a relationship and are like, you know, mm-hmm. joke on each other, you know, like, I don't know. It, it was just such a fascinating, you know, and just like her as the character, right? Like, you know, there's that thing of like, oh, is she a good character or a bad character, you know, protagonist or antagonist, you know, for doing what she's doing. But it is really that thing of like, you know, like a lot of Quentin Tarantino movies, like these are people within a world of shit relatively. And it's just about like the relative nature of what's happening, you know, relative to like the situation that's happening. You know what I mean? Like, okay, yeah, sure. This person can be bad in these regards. But when it comes to this situation, are they the person who really deserves this? You know what I mean? Like it's that sort of thing. After that, yeah, after this part, you know, he ta- she takes her uh, her kid and like is seen driving down the street and she goes to the hotel and the kids like watching TV. Uh, I can't remember what it was. I think it's something as soon as if I watched it, I went back and saw it again and be like, Oh God damn it. It's like underdog or something. But uh, yeah, she's the kids watching TV. And then it just like cuts to, you know, slowly pans over to the bride in the bathroom, just crying her eyes out. 
because it's just like you know of course this wasn't like fulfilling you know what i mean like mm-hmm. that that's what i really like about how they did it right it wasn't like the the triumphant necessarily just like oh, right you get to see it, it feels, you know, her her ambiguity because and I think that's also part of why I like this movie more is that the bride is just this sort of almost like an action figure in the first one. She's just sure. she does the cool fight moves and she, yeah, because, you know, <laughs> because revenge and blind fury. So has, it's time full, to go. Has full yeah. joint rotation, you know, but uh. she doesn't seem like a person. And in this one, it's like. She's a badass fighter, but we also see, I mean, in the training montage, we see her sustained nerve damage. We see her shaking so badly she can't hold chopsticks, you know, and, and we see her in pain. And in this, we see her like, you know, however, physically strong, like dealing with the emotional. Yeah. I think you're right that if it had just been like, okay, I killed the bad guy and I got my kid back and now everything's well. I mean, and it's, it's interesting I wasn't a fan of the title card at the end that says the lioness had her cub back and always right in the jungle. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's just like, and weirdly, I misremembered that as being a voiceover, and I was really glad it wasn't a voiceover. But I just didn't remember that at all. Yeah. I, I remembered it, and I just wasn't a huge fan of that because, it, for one thing, it was just like the lioness and the cub. sort of feeling. I don't know. It just also didn't feel like it had much to do with who she was or anything and it wasn't also like her whole thing was going to kill bill for revenge like she wasn't this whole thing wasn't called rescue my daughter it was called kill bill she didn't even know about her daughter being alive she thought her daughter was dead you know and so it just felt like i mean i'm being really nitpicky because that's a title you know it's a title card you can ignore (laughs) (laughs) but um oh no i said you can ignore something in a tarantino movie but um i just wanted to say like in the hotel room and the daughter's watching a cartoon and the cartoon had i maybe i was look maybe i i missaw this but it it looked like kind of minstrelsy that cartoon that what? she was watching in the hotel. Did you see Wait. the flower? Now I remember what it was. And yes. I was just like, it was okay. F- okay. It was now I remember. Yes. I'm so glad you brought it up. It was a cartoon that I actually used to have the VHS of as a kid. It's one of those old, like 40 style, like, you know, probably not the main WB like mm. characters, but maybe like Fleischer Studios or something like that. And it's something about like these farmers are being annoyed by these magpies or something like that. And of course the magpies, like, because they're blackbirds. Yeah. They kind of, have that visually with the flower the Uh, flower the yellow flower like it looked like the middle of it looked kind of like a like like a black face i I can't remember that but i i I just remember because there's the part where the there's a part um in the cartoon where the magpie you know the farmers are mad at the magpies and trying to hunt them down and then there's a scene where the magpie gets control of the radio and uh of the nearby like radio or whatever the hell and he goes like if there's a magpie in your area treat him kindly you know show him da 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 because you never know da 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 like I, I that was the specific part that I saw that keyed me in and reminded me because I always remembered that like moment of you know of course always in these cartoons there's the moment where you know the the uh, the hunted character gets a one up on the uh, main hunter by doing something like you know ridiculous like getting control of the radio station or something like that you know but uh. Yeah, sorry, what was the point you are going to bring up? Oh, no, I just, that bugged me a little bit because, yeah, it looked to me, and, like, I don't know, maybe I'm seeing, maybe I'm reading too much into it. To me, the flower in the middle, like, it was I also hard to see. because it looked like now. I, I want to go back, yeah. Yeah, because, I mean, and also, like, I'm watching, you know, 
a TV screen that's in a movie. So it's not like, you know, I'm looking at it directly, but it looks a little, eh. and, and I was just like, old school thirties cartoons, you know, right. And I was just like, you know, Tarantino, I feel like you got through this whole movie without dropping an end bomb. And you just had to get something in there. And, and also, uh, there was one moment that, like, Jackie and I both went, because Bud goes something about, like, I'm not going to Jew out from any of my oh, obligations. Oh, yeah, yeah, out of my comeuppance. Like, yeah, I was like, oh, like, oh. You just, you just had to. You just had to. Like, <laughs> all right. Like, it's this like, is like, you know, Bud doesn't exactly come off as someone who's not uh, But again, you know, it's like, you know, like, like, yeah, like, you don't have to show him being super tolerant. I think yeah. there's a difference between falsely portraying a character as tolerant when they wouldn't be mm. and just going out of your way to have them say like a really outre expression yeah, that I is, that. you know, I don't know. It's it, like, whoa, why just be like that? <laughs> okay. So I will say like, yeah. And this is like going to veer way off topic for a second, but okay. You know, I'm, I'm from Savannah and in Savannah, we got the book. Is the Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil. Everybody's freaking <laughs> obsessed with it. There was literally, I well, I don't know if it's still there. It was for a long time. There was literally an entire movie. shop, literally an entire shop uh, devoted to that book and selling nothing but that book and merch related wow. to the book. Yeah, <laughs> because it's like the only thing that like is really about Savannah in a yeah, way. And it's that, such a fascinating like, intricate look like with the uh, the drag queen performer who is like Right. So Lady Shibley, yeah. who's a real person, plays herself yes. in the movie. So yeah. actually the comment that I had is about her kind of so there's a character who's like this I don't he's like this good old boy southern guy. And he in the movie because again this is Lady Shibley playing herself and he's interacting with her and this is a character you know played by an actor in the movie who is like kissing her hand and you know charmed to meet you madam and yeah very like courtly towards her the real guy or at least in the book which is lightly fictionalized like the book is fictionalized but based on a real thing anyway so in the book the guy in question never meets her but refers to her behind her back as an n-word drag queen whoa like and this is you know she was a drag queen but calls her the n-word and also calls her a drag queen in a way that feels sort of dismissive of like the fact that she was also yeah. that she was also a woman like she was actually a woman she was a trans woman uh, okay. um yeah so lady shibley is, is a drag queen but also was a transgender woman so like she wasn't like mm-hmm. a man dressing up as a woman um anyway you know so and and when i saw that in the movie i was kind of like huh I don't, you know, on the one hand, I don't think it was necessarily a bad choice that, you know, especially, especially given that Lady Shibley was playing herself to change that interaction when it wasn't even an interaction. It was just a nasty comment somebody made about her. But on the other hand, it's like portraying that character as being way cooler than he actually was yeah, in real right. life. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's just a thing to think about. Um it's just a thing to think about. But yeah, I had that moment of like, God, Tarantino, like you just, you just had to get a couple racial slurs in there. Even if <laughs> you don't actually, a little weird. even if nobody says an end bomb in this movie, because I think the only black character who actually appears in the movie is Samuel, Rufus right? at the yeah. very beginning. He's like barely even a character. He's a cameo. Yeah. Um, so nobody says N word, but, but you had the, the, the cartoon crow. That awkward cartoon. old school. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it's just like, man, sh- it, doing characters. 
like, it's just yeah. like, is this compulsive? Like, is this uh-huh. compulsion do, that you do have? You just have to be edgy. It's like you gotta have Uma Thurman's feet and you gotta have some racism. Uh, that's real life, man. That's feet what the racism. Like. That's what life is all about. Feet, ra- <laughs> feet and racism, Sarah man. That's what life. Hot spanking feet and racism. <laughs> Oh man! Uh, These yeah, are the but, insights that you come to us for. Yeah, but no, I mean, I I really really loved this movie though, and and I think um, in it, it's interesting with it. It's it's not really a sequel. To, you know, a sequel implies they made a movie, and then later they were like, "Hey, let's make another one." And this was clearly made as like one long project yeah. that just yeah, happens to really be two part. films. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think it was really good that it was split into two. But mm-hmm. also, you know, I was kind of mad on, on volume one, but now with appreciating volume two, I also think I wouldn't have loved volume two as much if volume one hadn't set me up with the like hyper stylized. Right? Like they work together, right? They kind of they work, work together. Right. It's like, it's like volume one. one it almost sets feels. You up, and then the other one, like, okay, now let's get into the real. It's like eating your like, dessert yeah. first in a good way. I feel like volume yeah. one is like, volume <laughs> one is like the dessert. Volume one is like, it's sparkly and bright Serves and there's lots up. of action yeah, and fighting and yeah. it's fun and lots of fun music and this and that. And then volume two is like the, the now main Now that you know course. the world. Yeah. 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 But but I think it actually it's like eating dessert first. In that case, it's like it's almost like if you come to a Tarantino movie, you're like you're starving, your blood sugar's low, and you're just like I just need something. Oh, yeah, donut. Yeah, look at that like nice right. sparkly donut, <laughs> and you eat the sparkly donut, and it's great. Okay, now I feel better, and now I can sit down and enjoy like a nice wholesome like balanced meal also yeah, because I'm yeah, not yeah. crashing, you know? Yeah, yeah, for real, for real. But yeah, so solid. Like my dietary habits are great, as you can yeah. tell. <laughs> so overall, uh, big, big uh, thumbs up from the both of us. Uh, for sure. Thank you so much for listening. This has been the Review a New Podcast. You know what you could do if you enjoy the show. You know, tell your friends, arm yourselves with knowledge. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but yeah, until next time, uh, this has been the Review a New Podcast. Uh, I'm DJ. I'm Evan. And... Well, it's too late to say you're sorry. How would I know? Why should I care? Please don't bother try to find her. She's not She's there. And then editor, bring it in, bring it in. Oh, no one told me about her. And the way she lied. I love I that song. I don't remember one of them. I don't know. I fucked it up. Uh, no, but that song is so epic because I feel like for most of the movie, the songs have been all like specifically old school sounding stuff. Like where it's just like, oh, this sounds plucked out of the 70s. But that's the one song that directly feels like, oh, it's sampling something from the 70s. But this is literally remixing I something think I, in a way where like that singer sounds like it's from a new song. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. And I think having like the new, I think having like one modern thing like as a button like and bringing it it's like hey this isn't just a nostalgia trip like this is now yeah that's another thing worth noting the music is so fucking good oh my god so goddamn good and yeah just that song in particular is just so fucking good with using that sample you hear in the my man got a heart like it's so cool and then hearing the, the singer come over it and how it like fuses together in this way where like the music is so impactful like as you're hearing like the strings and stuff like that oh it's so goddamn cool but uh, mm-hmm. okay, now we're done.